Hi, everyone. Welcome to Domain Sherpa. Today is an episode of Down the Rabbit Hole with Drew, myself, and Pedro Neronia of Noster Capital. In this episode, we talk about the investability of domain names from the perspective of an institutional investor. Pedro brings a handful of questions to pressure test our thesis of domains as digital real estate, and we discuss some advantages and disadvantages to domains as an investment and what else is needed to make domains more appealing to institutions and funds. It's insightful and eye-opening to say the least, and if you're a domain investor, big or small, you surely don't want to miss it so let's get right to it here on domain sherpa where all roads lead to domains it don't matter what you say there ain't no way that you're messing with my team today it don't matter what you do What's up, Sherpa Network? Welcome to Domain Sherpa. My name is Jonathan Tenenbaum, and I am the host and producer of Domain Sherpa, where all roads lead to domains. Today's show is a offshoot of our Down the Rabbit Hole series. As we say on Domain Sherpa, all roads lead to domains. And in turn, domains lead to all things. Today, we are going to be talking about the idea of domains as digital real estate and attacking our thesis of the idea of how do we make domains more accessible from an institutional investment standpoint. And to do that, we've got a very, very special guest. We've got Pedro de Noronha here with us. And uh, Pedro, let me know if I, uh, if I said that correctly. But uh, um, perfect. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. And uh, so and I've also got my main man, Andrew Rosner, here on the show with us as well. But let me do a quick intro for Pedro. Uh, Pedro is currently the founder and managing partner of Noster Capital. It's an artisanal investment manager with offices in London and Malta that provide investors with a high touch service able to explore investment opportunities across segments of the market that most funds can't. As for Pedro, he began his career as an M&A analyst at Merrill Lynch in their London office. After that, he moved over to JP Morgan's proprietary positioning team in London, an independent business unit reporting directly to JP Morgan's board of directors, investing in banks' own capital through multi-asset investments, he specialized in risk arbitrage and special situations in Europe, promoted a portfolio manager at the young age of 27, managing over $1.2 billion in gross assets. That's billion with a B. Uh, after that, Pedro decided to venture out on his own and launch Noster Capital in early 2008 with an internationally recognized group of individuals making up the investor committee. Noster's clients include very high worth net, uh, high net worth individuals as well as family offices. Recently launching a second fund, Noster Alpha Constant, the goal of complementing the first fund uh, with lower fee, lower touch investment strategy, delivering over 66% return since the inception in October 2019 uh, versus the 47.5% of the S&P total return, uh, obviously doing an incredible job there for their clients. He also sits on the board of B Corp Conservative. Uh, Conservatorio, which is a real estate developer focused on mixed use, mixed income projects in Panama, Guatemala, Honduras, with a $500 million pipeline. Uh, so without, I think it goes without saying, it's a long intro because you've got a ton of accomplishments, but um, I hope I did that justice. And uh, Pedro, thank you so much for being on the show. We appreciate having you here. My pleasure, JT. It's great to be here with you guys. All right. And as usual, we got my man, Andrew Rosner, who is the founder and CEO of Media Options, the number one domain brokerage firm in the world. Uh, also the owner and publisher of Domain Sherpa, owner and publisher of Gondrepreneur, uh, the one of the biggest domain investors in the world, also a very big crypto investor. I mean, I know anybody who watches the show knows exactly who Andrew is, but I feel like after giving Pedro such a you know, the long intro, <laughs> I got to do justice to Andrew and give him his uh, his props as well. But uh, Andrew, uh, thanks for being here also. Absolutely. And, right. and just to fill in the blanks, uh, you know, uh, 
Pedro and I met uh, uh, briefly while I lived in Panama, just before I left Panama. And we were introduced through uh, mutual friends. And um, uh, shout out Casey and Patrizia. And um, <laughs> uh, we have become very close friends. And uh, I am uh, uh, a investor in the asset manager that Pedro operates. Awesome. Yep. And, and, uh, and yeah. in, the interest of, in the interest of full disclosure, uh, Drew is the one person who made me fall down the rabbit hole of uh, Bitcoin because I was a huge <laughs> contrarian. <them>, so. <laughs> yes, excellent. Well, that's great. And yes, and uh, and since this show, uh, you know, having an actual you know institutional investor on the show, you know, nothing on the show constitutes investment advice or financial advice of any kind. We're just a couple of guys having a conversation, uh, talking about domain names and uh, you know some interesting things to us. And uh, hopefully you all will find it interesting as well. So with that, let's dive into the reason that we brought you on, because I know you guys are close friends. Um, and, uh, and obviously with the, the fund that you manage and the different investments that you have, uh, you're on the institutional investment side. You know, we've got this, what we kind of call our default thesis of domain names as digital real estate, right? And part of the, uh, you know, your role, Pedro, and what you're involved with is, uh, you know, also a big real estate investment trust. Um, so, you know, I think for us, what we all would like to do on today's show is talk about the idea of domains as digital real estate. And also, as we keep going down this path of trying to make domains more accessible and investable uh, by individuals, but also funds, trying to talk through a bit of what will make domains more, you know, more available, uh, more uh, healing, enticing and uh, exactly appealing. I said enticing, you know, to uh, to investors of all shapes and sizes in order to help to advance the idea of domains as its own asset class. So with that, let's kind of dive in. So uh, let's start first to level set from a domains perspective. I mean, are, are you a domain investor yourself? Do you you have domains for your for your business? Uh, do you invest in domains as an investment? Uh, I invest in domains just for the business and I have a personal domain so that, uh, and, and Drew gave me for my birthday last year, a domain extension dot Noronha, which was incredibly oh. cool. <laughs> so the handshake, um, the handshake okay. domain. The handshake, yep. Decentralized web. Uh, you web three. Without knowing what Web3 was. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, JT, tell me, I, I think the way that this could be more productive is if we run this session almost like a due diligence um, uh, conversation where me as a potential investor ask you guys questions, which sure. I think most people would like to know to, to, so to understand what is the investability of, um, of domain names as an asset class. Because um, that, to be entirely that. honest with you, until, uh, until I met Drew uh, three, four years ago, um, for me, domains was just, uh, you know, the storefront for your business. And, um, and I mean, I didn't understand the, the appeal of it. Now, after dozens and dozens of hours of conversations with him, of course, uh, it, it, it looks entirely enticing. And I think it could be very well a, a, a very interesting uncorrelated asset class. But um, there's a couple of uh, hoops that we have to jump first. And I think that are probably questions that most people who are looking to invest in domains would have. So sure. I, I, I did a, a list of, of questions and let's see where the conversation leads. And um, I'm Excellent. sure that um, uh, none of them probably will be new to you. Well, hopefully one of or you're two the, will. You're the, best kind of, <laughs> you're the best kind of guest, man. You come prepared and, uh, you know, ready. And I do. I think that's a great, great approach. And I think that'll be really uh, helpful and useful for a lot of folks. So, so go ahead. And, so, and if you... We're gonna play. We're gonna we're gonna gamify this. So if Pedro can stump me, 
Pedro, we're going to send Pedro some of this, that, the new, the new uh, uh, Domain Sherpa swag that we just produced. Okay, yeah. Shop.mediaoptions.com. <laughs> I, uh, I got a bunch of stuff coming in the mail. So you'll start seeing that on the shows. And as we're starting to send that out to the guests and things like that as well. So good stuff. So, all right. Well, all right, Pedro. So let's see. So, so where do you begin? So, you know, as in your due diligence. You know, I've, I think the first thing as an investor that you think of when you buy anything is to think of, of the future. So the first question is, how easy is it to sell a domain? So domain names are not a particularly liquid asset class. I would say that the trajectory on the liquidity of these things is certainly up and to the right, but at a, at a very slow pace. Although, albeit, uh, you know, I would say increasing and, 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 and the, the trajectory has increased, you know, uh, gotten steeper because of COVID, um, you know, which just amplified the need for, you know, a digital presence and amplify the need for uh, the best possible digital presence for any brand, company, service, product, et cetera, because you're competing in the most competitive landscape, economic landscape there is, which is the digital you know, economy. Um, the domain names are not particularly liquid. There are subcategories of domain names that offer a tremendous amount of liquidity, but um, you know, such as three-letter.coms, you know, there is a floor price at which you can sell a three-letter.com more or less instantly. Um, you know, instantly being, uh, uh, let's say, 24 hours, 48 hours. And, um, you know, same to a lesser degree could be said about four-letter.coms. And we're talking about just a random four-letter string acronym. Um, there's, to a lesser degree, again, uh, uh, let's say one-word.coms. Every one word.com has a floor, but they're going to vary tremendously uh, based on some of the stuff that we'll probably get into you know, later in terms of how to value domains. But um, there is a low degree of liquidity versus other traditional asset classes. Got it. Uh, so basically what you're saying is uh, the Madison Avenue sells super easy uh, if you're going to you know, something that is less prime it might exactly. take a little bit of um, an effort, but that's why yep. guys like you exist, I guess. Right. Pre precisely. Well, yeah. Precisely. And I think it's also worth mentioning too, you know, the, one of the nuances, you know, three character.coms, like, you know, three letter.coms have sort of a floor price where, and there are enough people in the market and there are enough platforms out there, you know, different, uh, you know, sale, uh, you know, name jet, for example, you know, different domain name sales platforms where you can list the domain and sell it or after Nick, where you can sell it relatively quickly, where you have enough buyers that are actively watching what is happening in the flow of inventory and generally have an idea of what they're willing to pay. Um, I also think for three character.coms, because the floor price probably sits around $30,000, somewhere between 20 and 30 grand, depending on the letters and the, you know, that's also a price point that is accessible to a number of investors. Whereas if yeah. you take like a single word.com that might have a two letter.com for example, oh, yeah, there's a yeah, two letter.com that could be a seven figure asset, you know, even though that's the sort of floor price, if you will, not every domain, you know, there aren't that many people that are liquid at uh, however many millions of dollars to invest in those kind of domains if somebody is actually actively selling those, you know. So I think that also adds another layer to it where, you know, it's called the available cash or investable, you know, dollars for certain domains, which is kind of why I think you've seen this prevalence of if you look at what is the most liquid domains, 
at it, it, you know, in a, in a range that's accessible and, and by buyers that are aware, I think your three character.coms probably are the, you know, kind of the most prevalent in that, that case. So, um, but yeah. I think that's a great sort of segue into a deeper part of maybe the same question, which again, I'm hesitant to go too deep because I don't know what other questions you're going to throw at me (laughs) down the line. But um, I think one of the biggest ish, well, opportunities and problems, again, every problem is an opportunity, but the biggest problem that we face as domain investors, I think, is uh, the spread. Right. So, uh, you know, in traditional markets, there's a spread and generally that spread is not going to be that steep when spreads start widening to, let's say, you know, three percent, six percent, whatever, you know, at least in my uninformed mind, um, that would be a very large spread in traditional financial financial markets. Yeah, Um, for sure. And in domain names, um, you know, if we stay with the example of three letter dot com, which I think is a great example just because it's the closest thing to, let's say, an investable asset class within the domains themselves, because there are, let's say, there's a large number of buyers of last resort, such as myself. I will basically buy any three-letter.com. Anybody, I don't care who you are, I don't care what your domain is, you present me a three-letter.com, there is a price I will pay for it. You know, if it's the worst one in the world, I'll still probably pay 14 grand for it, maybe 15, right? But for most of them, I'm going to pay 20 to 30 grand, you know, doesn't even matter. You know, I'll give you an answer in 30 seconds, send me a domain, you know, if it's a three letter.com, there's me and maybe 50, hundred other people that will buy that domain within a 10 or 20% range, um, you know, and call that the floor. But on the flip side of that, once I own it, what I'm looking to sell it for is 10 X in general. Sometimes it's a five X, but it, you know, more or less, I'm looking for a 10x, and so the spread between, let's say, the liquid liquid price. But that, but that comes um, with time, right? The 10x is going to be over three to five years. It's not going to be over three to six months. Uh, time is variable. Sometimes it happens very quickly. You know, we say lightning strikes, but for the most part, yes, it's 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 a longer hold. It could be, let's say, two to five years is probably our average. Um, I think as we move out the time scale. As we move up the quality scale on domain names, that time frame gets compressed. But for the most part, you're absolutely right. This is going to be a longer term, mid to, mid to long term hold. If we're calling a midterm, let's say five years and long term, 10 years um, uh, or 10 plus, I think it's a mid, you know, mid to long term time frame. But again, um, what I'm just trying to highlight is, is the discrepancy between liquid liquid value and retail value mm-hmm. and it's a it's a very large spread you know it's 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 a multiple not just a you know percent small percentage single digit percentage or so and like oh, you said that represents you- the opportunity but uh, you know as well so i'm sorry go ahead pedro no that that's what makes you guys experts right you dedicated your lives to understanding this so that's how you make a living and that's mm-hmm. totally fair now a question i have is about a uh, transparency how transparent is the market? Can I see, well, just like in Bitcoin, you can see what Bitcoin came from, which wallet to which wallet. Can you see the provenance of the of the um, domain and the prices paid historically for it? So very little, I would say 90%, particularly on high-end domain names. On the low end, there's a lot more transparency in terms of pricing, just because they most of the transactions are happening on marketplaces or platforms 
where they have a general policy of publishing their sales data. On the higher end, where somebody's hiring somebody like me to go buy the domain for them or hiring somebody like me to go sell the domain for them, we don't publish any of our sales unless specifically requested by both buyer and seller. And so at the high end, I think it's greater than 90% of sales never get published. And therefore, you have very little, uh, almost no transparency. You have don't the you think, exception, but... Don't you think that harms the, the, the industry as an asset class? Because imagine the contemporary art industry, if you wouldn't know how much Picassos are going for year in, year out, or um, any other artists, you know? Uh, it, 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 it's the FOMO that drives people into contemporary art. Well, FOMO and, and ego, of course. But um, I think that the industry would be better served by being more transparent because people could, from the outside, start saying, well, hold on, this is appreciating higher than the S&P 500 or than uh, this asset class and zero correlated returns. Yep. And I think you make a really great point. And we've talked about this a lot. And there have been sort of times and in different pockets where there has been more transparency. There are things that have changed. For example, GDPR, when it was introduced, changed mm -hmm. the way that um, the rules around publishing the who is data for the domain name showing who the registrants are, right? So as that information became less public, then you have less transparency about domain movement and ownership and provenance. To your point, you know, there are sites out there like namebio.com and a few other, and there are blogs and folks that do track the sales prices on some of these platforms, like I mentioned, um, you know, which is like Namejet and Dropcatch and GoDaddy auctions and places where you have domains that are being sold every single day. Um, and uh, so there are places that do effort to try to track those sales, but, you know, not every, you know, they, they can't track them all. There are tons of private sales. Not all of the platforms publish their data and not all the sales that occur on these platforms are necessarily public or within view of people. So, you know, and this is- So the, the PR? So the PR is being done by the suburbs rather than by the prime real estate, right? <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, that's actually precisely correct. And, and, and so this is a very tricky issue for me personally, because our clientele are at the very high end of the market. We're only really dealing in the top 2% of the domains and they value privacy, right? You know, we go out and buy a domain name on behalf of a fortune 500 company they don't want that to be public for a variety of reasons. First and foremost, they don't want their competition knowing what they're doing. They don't want the name yeah. of a new product or a service getting out into the public domain before they get to make the announcement and control the narrative. And so, um, and a lot of other reasons as well. And on the flip side, uh, you know, various uh, investors, uh, anybody who's tried to buy a high-end domain often knows it's very difficult to even find out who owns it. And even if you know who owns it, to contact them can be very difficult. And a reason for that is that a lot of the uh, domain investors who have owned these domains for many of years, they value their privacy because you have people that really want these things and are banging, literally banging down doors to try and get but them. But you, you don't need to know who bought it. You can have undisclosed sold abc.com to undisclosed. The only thing you need to know is actually the value. Yes, except that by the nature of domain names, you know, ultimately um, that information will become public once it becomes in use. Um, and so it's tricky. Yeah. It's a very, it's a very, very, I would say probably one of the trickiest subjects in the field of domains is, you know, price privacy. And, um, and so you have a high degree of transparency 
which literally, you know, is, is, is let's say the flip side of that question you just asked is um, you have a high degree of privacy, uh, a high degree of transparency in terms of the who owns it, who sells it, with the exception of the new GDPR rules that sort of have obfuscated that. Um, but, you know, if we're focusing our conversation on high-end domains, these are going to date back 20 plus years. And there is going to be some degree of transparency in terms of who owned it previously. And ultimately, when it becomes in use, we'll know who bought it. And so um, I'd say there's at least some relatively good degree of transparency in terms of ownership and provenance, but very little transparency in terms of price. Yeah, I guess price would be more important than provenance because once you have the, the website, you have the, web, the domain, you have the domain, right? Doesn't Although really social matter. proof, social proof, as we've seen in Bitcoin, is such an important thing. You know, you can be the, you know, one of the top institutional investors in the world shunning Bitcoin and then Paul Tudor Jones jumps in the ring and you're like, oh, wait a minute, it's time for me to take a second look at that, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the provenance is quite important. You know, if you see a Facebook or a Amazon or a, uh, a high net worth individual spending a big chunk of cash, like, you know, Mark, um, um, uh, uh, what's his name? The Mavericks. Um, oh, Mark Cuban. Mark yeah. Cuban, you know, steps up and buys democracy.com for, you know, $300,000 um, just on speculation. You know, that sends a signal to people like him, people in his circle who say, oh, okay, domain names are a thing. It's a, you know, it's a, yeah. whether it's for a social signaling or whether it's for, you know, just business use and, you know, assigning a value, it, it sends a number of signals. And for what it's worth, you know, we do get sort of a patchwork of information and data just through some of the things that I mentioned were some of these sales that occur on the platforms, the big super premium stuff that is often sold via, you know, private sales, you know, some of that information then becomes public later on through actual public filings on the part of publicly traded companies. And you, know, yeah. you have some people who do a lot of work to actually try to dig in and, you know, monitor those filings to see what they paid for those domain names. The unfortunate thing is it doesn't come until, you know, potentially quarters or months later. And um, yeah, years. like George Kirikos and, you know, folks like that and Elliot Silver and, and others who uh, Jamie Zock, I think. And, you know, you got some Digging people through that, these S1s. In space that literally take the time to go through to try to determine what these big domains sold for to get a sense of what the market is actually doing, which is, you know. Uh, I wonder I wonder if guys like you who see a, a leading part of the flow could build some, um, you know, prime uh, domain uh, index where you don't disclose what you do, but you can just start a, as a basis point of 100. And then, because, you know, one thing when someone is investing in illiquid assets, which, I mean, compared to, um, you know, stocks, you guys are, would be considered illiquid. <laughs> the is, opposite end of the spectrum of liquidity. <laughs> <laughs> the more data points, the better. So yes. you want to create news. So if you have... Um, prime domain um, uh, index that comes out once a month and that registers the at least the the main sales that you guys did and given you guys are the number one brokers i mean that that would be uh, that could be a a data point that is relevant so that people can then because one of the questions i'm going to have is okay um i build i build a portfolio of domains i'm sold into the idea how do I value it on a quarterly basis? I'm not going to say month to month because I mean, that might be too, too soon, but the problem when you have a fund that is not closed, and by that I mean where investors can come in and out, 
when you have an asset that is illiquid, the question is how do you value the asset? Mm-hmm. There's the option that you can put it always at cost, but I mean, if you keep it at cost, an investor who invests a year later is getting in the price of last year, which is not fair for existing investors. So you're always trying to make it as fair as possible. And uh, what are the, the ways so that we could I just want to I want to interrupt you for one second, because I think what you just said there is like one of the key points, you know, this is why I wanted to do this is... You know, these are concepts that I think most domain investors aren't thinking about. I think that, you know, we've had this narrative for 20 years in the industry of, you know, domain names need to be an investable asset class. Domain names are digital real estate. Domain, blah, blah, blah. But without flushing out, what does that mean? And I think the point you just made about, okay, most of these funds are open-ended and you need to be able to mark to market because as you said, somebody who invests, I, let's say I invest into uh, your fund today and you've got a portfolio of a million dollars in domain names. And, you know, JT jumps into your fund a year from now. I mean, I would argue that domain names have been, in my experience, as somebody who is invested in, you know, no longer, I don't have any bonds anymore, but I've invested in bonds, equities, you know, real estate, domain names, you know, you name it, you know, all sorts of crypto, you know, I've tried to at least dabble in as many asset classes as I can possibly get my fingers in. And I can verify um, that. <laughs> digital monkeys, you name it. Uh, so um, API club. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I would say domain names have appreciated at a faster pace than any other asset class I've ever invested in, including uh, Bitcoin. And so it is not fair that an investor that comes into the fund a year later uh, is coming in at the same value. And then as a portfolio manager, what do you do about that? Right. So maybe it's worth digging into that subject a little bit more, because I think this is one of these finer points that you sort of just go right through because this is just common, you know, this first nature for you. But I think the domain industry has never, it's probably never occurred to a single person in the domain industry is okay. Let's go start a domain name fund. Well, how do you mark that to market? That's a, it's, a, it's an excellent question. Right now, I, the only way you can do is you can do it as a closed fund. So you raise the X amount of assets, you invest and you do it like a private equity fund, but there's no reason why this could not be like a, like a long only fund, just um, mm-hmm. as a, there's gold ETFs, there's um, silver ETFs, there's Bitcoin ETFs. I don't see why there wouldn't mm-hmm. be a domain name. So, um, so, here, uh, so I have an answer that I'd propose. And so you have, um, and, and I would just like to sort of get your idea about how valid is this, but um, one of our biggest partners, escrow.com, shout out, um, uh, they are the market leader in domain name escrow. So I think they've got something like, I don't know, somewhere between 80 and 90% these days of um, the aftermarket for domain names, third-party transactions, uh, you know, escrow. Um, so they're like uh, a, the clearinghouse of the domain industry. Not the clearinghouse because they're not presenting, they're not like standing up a marketplace or an auction or anything. They're just a facilitator. So they're an escrow facilitator. Um, They do have a bunch of offerings in terms of payments, in terms of, you know, other stuff. But for the most part, they're the... But that that probably makes them the most knowledgeable guys about uh, every price that's being transacted. These guys know where all the bodies are buried more than any other, you know, uh, 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 node in in this industry. And so um, they do publish a quarterly report 
which, you know, is a quarter over quarter, you know, guideline of, okay, market was up, market was down. They, they, they drill down into specific categories of domain names, whether it's two character, three character, four character, uh, one word, two word, you know, domain names, you know, standalone versus domain names with a website on top. They drill down into these subcategories and they do, you know, they offer charts and graphs and, and, and sort of quarter over quarter um, uh, indications of growth or, or contraction. And so, um, you know, obviously you, without seeing that, it's hard for you to judge, but I wonder if that's sort of very high level um, market pulse, you know, is a good indicator. Further that you've got, you know, guys like Giuseppe Graziano, who is a good friend of Domain Sherpa and of mine, also lives here in Lisbon, by the way. Uh, and he, GGRG, uh, although I think he's publishing it on something else now. Uh, sorry, I don't remember what the acronym uh, is, but yeah, I'll check. Um, they, uh, he also publishes a quarterly report, which is um, only focused on the liquid side of domain names and only focused on, let's say, the sort of wholesale liquid area of the market. Um, and he's got an, you know, traditional economics background. So he's sort of going into, okay, three letter.coms, these are the market movements, two letter.coms. Um, but I think, yeah, I, I don't know if there's enough publicly available data for him to chew on to create a really accurate, um, you know, overview of the market. But I think escrow.com does. But listen, from what, what are you telling me? I think uh, a, a JV between you and escrow.com to create the domain index. And you can do several. You can do the AAA, which is the Madison Avenue. You can do the Central Park South. You can do the, the suburbs. You can do the, um, you know, the, the GoDaddy's, the ones that we buy for $14.99 or something. And then you can compare. And uh, I think that, uh, you, know, you know, most institutional investors are lazy. <laughs> by definition. So, I mean, one of our slogans w w used to be like, we actually read the 10Ks because the majority <laughs> of investors don't, don't read the 10Ks, yeah. which is something absurd, in my opinion, for someone who's a fiduciary of someone else. Yeah. You need to do the work. You need to present the data and then you'll get people. And, and you could actually, you know, you could license the index eventually. First, you provide it for free and further down the line, five, 10 years from now, you'd like the S&P um, 500 index is licensed, you know, uh, especially if then ETFs are built on top of it. You could, um, there's a bunch of things that then you could like actually uh, benefit from, uh, from doing that. You could actually mm -hmm. provide evaluation services for domain uh, names. You could be like, hey, we're the number one broker in the world. So for a fee of X, if there's a fund who starts up, on a monthly basis, we'll do use five different methodologies that are prop proprietary, and um, we'll do it this way. Because um, if if there is a trusted party in a world that is becoming more and more decentralized, but uh, sometimes you need a trusted party mm -hmm. to tell mm -hmm. you, uh, okay, just like there's the PW PwC and the Deloitte. I mean, you could be an auditor for value of um, of domains. And your stamp would say, okay, this is fine. These guys are fair. Their prices tend to be verified later by follow-on transactions. Um, and it could be a very good way for you because if, if, if service providers like you guys don't facilitate this, um, you know, institutional investors, unless they're really, really like curious, and there's a few, um, will be too lazy to do this. And you, you have to think that we always have to, to sit on the other side of the table from our auditors and say, as, as an example, 
um, our fund invested in Bitcoin, um, as you know, since uh, 2019. Uh, but uh, it was it became a, through organic growth a significant position a, a, as of the end of last year. So we're audited by Deloitte, big four auditing firm. Um, we had to delay the audit of our fund because Deloitte said we had never dealt with a, a fund holding Bitcoin and we're holding Bitcoin through Fidelity. You know, it couldn't be more blue chip than yeah. it is. It's a statement from Fidelity. Everybody trusts Fidelity. And we had to delay our audit because Deloitte had to fall, find the best procedures and so on. So th this tells you how early on we are into institutional investing in, digit in the digital space. Oh. And I, I would imagine the domain name would be the same thing. If I invest in domain names, I would be having the same number of sessions that I had with Deloitte uh, in the past couple of months, explaining to them and so on, <laughs> um, you know. So, uh, and most people don't want to get through that, especially if yeah. they don't see a graph that says this has been growing at 35% a year, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So, so you need to put the carrot in front of them. And I think that's what the domain industry, I mean, if I, w if I didn't know you, Drew, I would have no idea that domains would be a good investment. So, mm -hmm. th so the industry as a whole is doing a terrible job marketing this as an alternative asset class and correlated, you know, especially at a time where hundreds of millions of people are invested in bonds at yields of under 3% where money fiat currency is being debased at 10% plus. So you're locking in a guaranteed loss um, and inflation is just around the corner, even though the central bank say it's transitory, let's see about that. So the main names would be just like uh, crypto is an obvious solution for someone to get out of their fixed income exposure. But you know, investors are lazy after 30 years of making money in bonds and bonds being at all time highs they are so drunk with their own Kool-Aid that they don't see what's going to hit them. Yeah. So you guys you have know, a unique, go ahead. Yeah. I'd love to just have an answer to that question. It's like, unless you're regulatorily required to be holding government bonds, what on earth, when the, when the CPI print is five, 6% and these bonds are yielding, you know, between 1.2 and 2.6 on a, 30 year? I mean, like what, what, why, like what, what, what's going on in an investor's mind it, to hold it, it's bonds not, when you're guaranteed it's, to lose money? It's not because they're stupid. Believe me, fixed income investors are some of the savviest investors in the world. Some of them it's for regulatory reasons. Some of them is uh, because uh, it's the only option. They cannot be, uh, banks don't want cash. I don't know yeah. if you're noticing the repos that they're doing every day because the Fed is pe penalizing banks for having cash. So banks don't want cash. So sometimes you need, and, and you, don't, you don't take credit risk on the bank if you own a piece of, of bond. So sometimes, yeah. especially if you're worried about the, the, the fragility of the financial system, and I think there's plenty of reasons to be worried because this apparent sea of tranquility that we're all seeing is just uh, there because central banks are printing right now at an annualized $7 trillion a year. I mean, how much longer? This speaks yeah. loads for investing in um, digital real, real estate because yeah. one thing, you can invest in real real estate. You can buy a Madison Avenue apartment building, great. But students of history know that in the past, uh, when experiments like the one we're going through right now, where the government decides that uh, printing money out of thin air works, and it works until it doesn't, um, the next target will be taxes on the rich. 
you know, and in the US, you had 90% tax rate um, uh, last century in, in Europe, in a couple of countries as well. And so the apartment building in Madison Avenue, when uh, tax rates go up the roof, you're going to lose 90% of your value. Whereas yeah, if you, immovable, if you own a property is going to be what, the bullseye of tax policy. Exactly. Years. That's precisely the point. Whereas if you own a hundred million dollars of AAA domains, your domains cannot be taxed because you can be a resident of anywhere. Yeah. You can move jurisdiction on a domain name in three seconds. And I think that's in it. So just to kind of circle back. Right. And I do want to make one point, And this is just to promote our stuff a little bit. When you talk about, uh, you know, we do have a domain appraisal service that we offer. Uh, you know, I not, got it. I didn't know. Investors. No, but this is more on individual domain names. So we have companies and domain investors and buyers and sellers of domains all the time that you know, are looking to us to understand what they think their domain should be selling for or they want to buy a domain and they're trying to get a sense of what should they be looking to pay for the domain. Uh, so we do have a domain appraisal service that we do offer more on the one-off domain situation, not put together, you know, services yeah. to a fund. So I think that's super interesting and there's no doubt that there's some, some really cool things that we'll be able to explore, not just talk about here, but further explore beyond this, which, you know, I think, um, you know. I like the index idea. Uh, so we just found really interesting. We just found you two additional revenue streams, guys. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We've got a new business uh, line. Yep, yep, exactly. So speaking of which, so let's do that really quick. Since we're promoting our business, we're going to take a quick break, uh, jump to a commercial uh, where for our sponsors, and then we are going to come back here on Domain Sherpa, where all roads lead to domains with Pedro Noronha. Um, we, and uh, continue to talk about this because, uh, I mean, this is so, so far so good, man. This is awesome. So let's keep it going. We'll be back here in a second on Domain Sherpa. <laughs> Media Options is the industry's leading domain broker specializing in domain acquisitions, high-value domain sales, and domain name consultation. As pioneers and thought leaders on the subject of the domain aftermarket and domain name value, plus through their clear domain acquisition service, Media Options offers startups and established corporations an unparalleled scope of high-value domain options, providing access to domain names and curation technologies not available elsewhere. Media Options believes in the power of a great domain name and is dedicated to helping you obtain yours. Call or email today to put a domain to work for you. Welcome back, everybody, to Domain Sherpa, where all roads lead to domain. So let's just dive back into it. So, Pedro, I know you've got a list of questions. Uh, so let's move on to uh, kind of the next question on your list. Perfect. So the second one is what defines a domain desirability? I know that the number of letters, for sure, and uh, words as well, but um, I don't know much more than that. Yeah, so um, from, you know, this to some extent is a matter of debate, but um, I, I would argue um, uh, that, uh, you know, this has been settled, uh, you know, but I would say that uh, the value of a domain name is derived exclusively from its use in commerce and use in culture. And when I say use in commerce and use in culture, I'm talking about the SLD, the part to the left of the dot. So if we're talking about pedro.com, Pedro is the SLD and uh, .com is the TLD. And um, uh, so if we take uh, the SLD, the part to the left of the dot, and we measure how many people per month are searching for that keyword or acronym or phrase, and we go to Twitter and we see how many you know, handles and uh, uh, hashtags 
are using that exact, you know, SLV. And we go to Crunchbase or in LinkedIn and we say, how many companies, you know, are using that SLV? How many uh, uh, trademarks are in the, you know, United States Patent and Trademark Office uh, database using that exact TLD, uh, SLV? Um, uh, that is going to give us a measure of the, you know, in, in, in the investment world, the TAM, right? The total, invest, total addressable market. The TAM can be measured by how many people per month are trying to find that, uh, utilizing it, whether it's search or, or, or you know, utilization um, per month for a uh, particular, you know, acronym, keyword or phrase. Um, and then the other side of that is the valuation part. So that's measuring the TAM. And then what is the TAM, you know, worth is measured by competition and by what are uh, advertisers willing to pay for uh, that particular keyword phrase or acronym to Google or Yahoo or Alibaba or, you know, uh, 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 Baidu or, you know, it doesn't matter. Any of these um, channels, what are the advertisers paying for that keyword? In the case of something like car insurance, you're talking about, you know, hundreds of dollars per click, whether that person converts to a paying customer or not, the advertiser is going to pay hundreds of dollars, meaning that let's say if we assume a 2% uh, conversion rate, which I think is a very reasonable sort of just broad based conversion rate like for e-commerce, um, uh, you know, you're talking about 98% of the people that click are not going to convert but the 2% that do are worth so much that you can afford to pay hundreds of dollars for each click. And again, that's for something like car insurance, one of the highest value keywords on the internet. Um, because many people buy car insurance or almost, probably today, it's the majority of people buy car insurance on the internet versus uh, something like directions where um, you've got millions of people per month searching for directions and typing in the word directions into Google, but very little or nobody paying as an advertiser for that keyword because it's a product and a service that's given away for free through Google Maps or Waze or whatever. And so um, those are sort of two ends of the spectrum. Or you've got something like, you know, something very esoteric or, or, or made up, which nobody is searching for. Um, and so um, it's sort of a quadrant, right? And uh, one axis being, you know, search and one axis being, you know, sort of the value of the search or the value of a click. And, um, um, uh, but that quadrant is how you would measure the value, right? It's, and, you know, and you just made the case for why uh, a company like yours needs to be a service provider for an institutional. Because for us to be able to do that analysis, which you guys have tens of thousands of hours of doing that, mm -hmm. it's very tough to, it's very different from what we normally do, which is looking at cash flows and, you know, understanding business models, trying to estimate where they're going to be five, 10 years from now, and if they're fairly valued or not. Yeah. So, and Drew, so how do you reconcile that with uh, like one word premium.coms, right? You take a name, like looking at something in our portfolio, like lobster.com. <laughs> which you could utilize as would be a, a potentially a brand name going forward. So mm -hmm. the name has value in that one word.coms are extremely high value domain names, but the search isn't necessarily related to what the ultimate end use will could be. Right. So, mm -hmm. so how do you reconcile that? With so, so, yeah, this is where we get very tricky. So what I've discussed up to this point is very much about objective value. 
okay? A data-driven approach to objective value. And I would argue that, you know, in a perfect world, as we move down that spectrum of liquidity, um, you know, what we're trying to achieve is getting the liquid value as close to the objective value as possible. Now, there's a whole other side, particularly at the very high end, which is subjective value. And sometimes subjective value can be a order of magnitude or more greater than the objective value. If I own, um, I don't know, trunk.com, trunk.com is a great domain name. It can be a great brand for a number of things. Uh, and, you know, somebody like, uh, I don't know, Trunk Club could come along and say, I want to upgrade and just own trunk.com. And, you know, they would pay X for it. Um, but Google could come out with a new vault service for all of your digital assets tomorrow. And it's called Trunk. And they've got trunk.google.com or google.com slash trunk. And that's your digital vault. And it's now worth, you know, subjectively, potentially, you know, tens of millions of dollars. And so um, I don't know. I don't know how you uh, uh, assess the subjective value because it's very much driven by sort of timing, circumstances, egos. You know, there's a bunch of these subjective, intangible things that are very difficult to measure. So um, well, I that, believe- That's what makes- just like investing, it's more of an art than a science, you know, there's exactly. a science component to it. And then there's, yep. um, you know, and we say that and about domain and some luck as well. Yeah, we say yes. that about domain names a lot. Digital assets in general, there's a lot of art and science, especially when you segue from domains into something like NFTs, you know, which has an actual art component to it. But domains yeah. are almost, you know, uh, you know, whereas I think, you know, crypto is a little bit more science than art. Domains probably fall somewhere right in the middle, you know, and well, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think to some degree, simply because, you know, if we say, you know, if we focus on Bitcoin and we say, well, Bitcoin is, you know, um, it's fungible, right? You, you, you can, one Bitcoin, more or less, they're, they're trying to break that, but, you know, one Bitcoin is worth another Bitcoin, right? And, and, and that's more or less a universal truth. And then in the domain world, each one is a snowflake, each one is unique. But I think that if we break it down to its lowest common denominator being, let's say, search and CPC, cost per click, um, you know, you can measure them eye to eye even without, you know, even without knowing what the domain is. If I give you a set of statistics, this domain name, call it X, has, you know, 50,000 exact match searches and a $4 cost per click. And here's the domain name Y. It's got, you know, 40,000 searches, but a $10 cost per click. You know, which domain, how do you compare those two domains? I think on the objective spectrum, you can compare them apples to apples. Um, but in the subjective realm, you cannot. There's no basis to compare yeah. them. And I think in Bitcoin, you can look at that in a similar way that we can look at the objective value, which is if you are, whether you're a day trader or a long-term holder, it doesn't really matter. You're entering the market at any given moment in time. There is a point at which Bitcoin is liquid and you can buy Bitcoin. That has absolutely no relevance to the value of Bitcoin as a network and Bitcoin as a more macro concept, right? Just because I can go right now and buy a Bitcoin for something between $39,000 and $40,000 at its time of showing, August 2nd, 3 p.m. Uh, UK. Yeah, um, it's time of taping. Uh, <laughs> um, 
at the exact same time, if you're a, let's say, longer term holder and you're trying to analyze what's your entry point, you're looking at, well, what can Bitcoin be worth? And that's the subjective value because it's going to be subjective, subjected to time, circumstances, regulatory behavior, you know, a whole bunch of different variables that are unknowns. And I think that that's similar. I think that domain names have an objective value, which is, you know, right now we have quite a large delta between liquidity and the objective valuation. And I think with time, we'll close that gap, but there will still be the, um, the subjective value, which is another wide margin that can be gained from circumstances, from suddenly you have a startup that raised $100 million and they need that name. Suddenly, you know, oh, Fed, Fed policy, Fed policy, Fed policy, the- right? COVID, right? You, you, you had a, a other, tr- other trends with names. respect to specific domains as well, right? I mean, exactly. Yeah, no, exactly. and I think and that's so, also where. Not, so I think when you look at Bitcoin, you look out, you know, five or 10 years and you have very, very, very smart people coming up with different models of how to subjectively value Bitcoin in the future. And they're saying, you know, could be 400,000, could be 500,000, could be a million, could be 10 million. And that is a subjective value based on, okay, is Bitcoin going to eat the gold market? If so, Bitcoin's worth $500,000 today, even if the price is $40,000. Is Bitcoin going to eat the bond market? If so, it's probably worth $10 million each, even if the price today is $40,000, right? And so- there's these subjective factors, which is how you would subjectively value Bitcoin in the future. And there's these subjective factors on how you might value domain names in the future if a startup with a significant VC backing emerges. If a Fortune 500, you know, uh, uh, decides to name a product or a service, you know, in line with your domain name. If a domain name in the same lane sells for, you know, some unexpected valuation, that's going to move up the floor for your name, right? So I think that these are correlated. There's a there's a relationship between objective and subjective value, yeah. um, but you can only measure and the there, objective. And and there's probably a very strong case to be made about scarce assets like the main names in a world where all major central banks are printing like there's no tomorrow, where there's yep. completely cornered and everybody have realized that they're cornered and that the only way out for them is to inflate their their problems away because they're not going to increase taxes. That's super unpopular. Uh, and yeah. right now they believe the, mag- the, money, the magic money tree is working. Yeah. And it has <laughs> been <laughs> since, uh, you money know, it has been. Burr. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, they, they forgot to, to, to read the lessons of history and to see that all those experiences ended in the same way. And when Wait, that happens, it won't be different this time? <laughs> I wouldn't bet. I wouldn't bet my my, my farm on it. Yes. Uh, so until we have a monetary monetary system reset, and that could be five years from now, that could be a month from now, that could be twenty years from now. I mean, God knows how how much longer this could go on. Um, anything that is scarce and that is digital is going to be probably outperforming. I mean, if you look at uh, since since two thousand eight, since the great financial crisis. There's very few things that outperformed the S&P 500. And the S&P 500 was majorly driven by the big tech. So there's Bitcoin and the cryptoverse. There's probably, probably very high-end real estate, S&P 500 and domain names. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know what else has outperformed. Um, the, um, the only way that you wouldn't be relatively poorer 
is if you had a big, big chunk of your portfolio um, allocated to any of these asset classes. And we talk about digital scarcity all the time. We've got scarcity.com. Um, you know, that is obviously a big driver, uh, we believe. I mean, we, and we know that. And when you have something like domain names that have util- you know, utility, um, and then you also have scarcity, you know, Drew's comment of each domain is a snowflake, which, uh, you know, was, some, was a term that I coined. So trademark all rights reserved. Well done. <laughs> um, you know, and Drew's got off the market forever and a lot of other good ones himself. But uh, anyway, but um, yeah, but without a doubt. And I think that, you know, because it, the idea that you've got more and more folks that are going online, you've trends like COVID and everything else. And we've, we've talked about this uh, ad nauseum, this idea of, you know, the transition from, from physical and analog to digital. Um, and, uh, you know, and they're not, and, and, and so more and more folks need good domain names to be able to operate online. Um, then, you know, that only further drives the value of the premium domains because they, and, and, and keep one thing in mind, JT, you know, I don't know if you have kids, JT, I know Drew does, and mine are a little bit older. I look at their friends and kids already live it partially in the digital sphere. 100%. 100%. Yep. And it's, I do. My, know, kids are about, my kids are like Drew's, age, Drew's kids' ages. And uh, yeah. I no, mean, yours are a little older. Like, uh, yeah, a little bit. A little you're bit. getting a little more. Well, no, it matters because you're getting, so, you're getting more of that experience. Your kids are, you know, doing some games. They're doing, oh, yeah, you yeah. know, they're more, I, even more, you know, uh, um, involved digitally than, than mine are yet. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I can see my oldest one already going there. But you, but you see, you see it, you go to restaurants and parents don't have nannies anymore. It's like, here's my iPhone or they have their own smartphone. Oh yeah, And are, uh, yeah. Th- th- that's a pacifier, you know, you know, it's like the kids are, are but they don't understand the, 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 the kids are already understand the, the board's AP Yacht Club that Drew is so invested <laughs> in. Uh, and those things for them, it's natural because yeah. they leave partially. So the biggest resistance to, changing and investing in the digital realm comes from most mostly older investors the younger generation it's totally down to it they can they can they can understand something that is not um uh, tangible you know something that is abstract a domain name is abstract and then Mm -hmm. covid i covid i think just accelerated the transition because many people believe it or not i mean outside of the us don't do online shopping and nowadays, people realize what instead of having a piece of real estate in the main commercial street in my town, I can just have a website and I have mm-hmm. a, a warehouse and I can sell to the whole country oh, yeah. to yeah. other to other countries. So I don't need the expense of the Madison Avenue um, unless it's for prestige and you know luxury brands need that. But if you're not a luxury brand. But your, domain your names serve that same prestige role to the younger audience, right? Maybe, you know, uh, let's say, I don't know, if Tiffany's bought diamond.com, this 60, 70-year-old guy walking into Tiffany's doesn't care or know that they don't, you know, they don't own diamond.com, but I'm saying if they did. And, um, but for a young audience, that is prestigious. It's like, oh, wow, yeah. you know, that's a flex. Yeah. That's a flex that they did. You know, um, uh, Tiffany's would own Diamond.com or or De Beers or you know whoever, right? That that is a sign of prestige to a younger generation. And it's also accessibility, right? So when you've got younger folks that are also. looking to possibly purchase a diamond, diamond ring, what have you, you know, they're not necessarily going to Google 
uh, Tiffany's or De Beers, but they'll Google Diamond, you know, and then it'll yeah, you know, yeah, exactly, and uh, and it'll drive them to it. And as you have the metaverse, the metaverse that is becoming more and more prevalent, you've got Facebook coming out and saying that they're not a social media company going forward, that they're a metaverse company going forward. You know, with the idea <laughs> of literally creating these these storefronts that are existing, you know, everything existing online. And eventually, you know, people will go in. With Which, a, by the way, should be like an entire show in and of itself, just breaking down like what does that mean? Because I feel like yeah. from mainstream media to like even you know esoteric podcasts and media, nobody's talking about this at the scale that it should be discussed. Which about is, the metaverse? Well, just that Facebook is going all in on the metaverse today, right? Like this isn't like. You know, oh, there's some nascent little corner of Facebook that they're talking about the metaverse and Zuckerberg's not even in the loop yet. It's like, no, no, no. We're going to take a, how much are they worth? hundred billion or something? Yeah, probably and more. We're, they're going to take a hundred billion, $200 billion company and we're pivoting the entire business from social media to we're going to be the place in the metaverse that people come together, host events. Get you know whatever like all of this. but but that's that's a defensive move that they're doing right because um, according to the teenagers that I know through my kids, Facebook is for boomers right? It's for us. Yeah, it's I think it's, it's it's both. It's both. I yeah. think. But they also they also defensive. own they own Instagram right? Yeah, so Instagram is um, you know so they're still tied in and, and you know so they've got the old folks that are on the internet on Facebook getting all their misinformation there and then yeah. you know then they've got the you know the the younger generation although you know they don't have the TikTok but you know but they did buy Oculus and some of this so now they want to be able to pivot and leverage some of that VR and all that but Drew and I were just talking about this earlier too I mean they're going it's going only to get more and more sophisticated online for people to be able to you know, do their business online. Now, whether or not they're going to put on a VR headset and actually enter into a room where they have an avatar and everything is kind of like this next, you know, sort of bigger jump in phase. But there still is this idea. We've got a, a friend in the domain space, Morgan Linton, who has a company called Bold Metrics. Their business is all about making it easier for people to buy clothing online because they're sizing and everything. They've got some really interesting stuff that they've developed around how to better select clothes that you buy online that better fit you as opposed to just, you know, small, medium, extra large. It's like, because it's, I really, I really hope that it doesn't turn out like that. You know, <laughs> humans were built for connection. Well, I mean, yeah, that's the but... only thing we're here for and uh, the metaverse and everything. I mean, I don't know if you guys saw Ready Player One, the Spielberg sure. movie, mm -hmm. yeah. but uh, unfortunately, I feel that's where um, we're heading to because ninety eight percent of people. I would say that it's a fore foregone conclusion. Yeah, and yeah. I I really enjoyed the book Ready Player One. We talked about this on the last show because ah, you I did. The, the movie was good. <laughs> I actually very very much enjoyed the book. Um, and but I do think we are headed in that direction where. You know, you've got also and that's what a lot of like even like we talk about the NFTs, the board apes, all that stuff, you know, people's there. It's their digital, um, you know, their digital presence in some ways will usurp their physical um, and, you know, but people will still find ways to connect. I mean, and we saw this thing where the uh, and, and I don't want to divert too far off into the NFTs and stuff, but, you know, the board apes had a had an event in Venice Beach. And uh, there was, uh, you know, they had a bunch of the art displayed, you know, on TVs. You missed it, Drew. So I know. I know this is where he would have been. And uh, and there were some other uh, NFTs, not just Bored Apes, but I was telling Drew. So have, but the folks who couldn't be there live were actually in one of the metaverse apps. I think it was Decentraland. I think it was Decentraland and not Sandbox, but where their avatars were in and they were actually like intermingling with the physical folks. Right. Or at least able to see into the live feed, the video feed. And, you know, and 
Bob Iger, Robert Iger shows up in the room and, you know, shorts and a T-shirt and they're taking pictures of him standing in front of, I think, a piece that he bought one of these uh, crypto Venetians, these Venice Beach surfer pixelated crypto punks looking things. And it's just such a wild time that we're in where you've got this like kind of intermingling of, you know, but what I think it drives towards when we're talking about domains and to reset the room and kind of bring it back to what we're talking about today, it's that, you know, the idea that your digital presence is absolutely key. It's going to continue to drive the value of domain names because they still are going to be an anchor for, you know, bringing folks to the internet, right? And that is only going to become more and more important for everyone. We're seeing the trends. We talk about it all the time, COVID and otherwise, and it continues to drive the value of domains and digital assets and digital properties and you know, which makes them even more enticing for folks to get in. And yet, all that 100%. being said, yet the vast majority of the world has absolutely no, and when I say vast majority, I'm talking 99.8% have no idea that domain names are valuable, how much they could be valued for, or how important they are until they get to that single moment where they've got a business that needs to upgrade its domain or there's a domain they just want and they have to reach out to find out and they're thinking it's worth a hundred bucks. And somebody replies back saying, no, this is going to be $500,000. And they're like, what, what, what do you mean? And, and what we need to do as an industry to get to being an asset class that somebody like Pedro could invest in through his fund um, is not that we need to get to a place where there is a standardized way to value domains, where there is a, understanding of what drives that value of you know but all you of know, these metrics I, so i still feel we're very much in the first innings because mm-hmm. a 500,000 a 500,000 domain is a pretty serious domain acquisition right i mean there's multi-million dollar domains but there, those are very few mm-hmm. so where are you going to buy a good store for your business for half a million bucks nowhere then, nowhere nowhere so you can still buy a store that people can access from anywhere in the world as long as there's internet connection. Yeah. So this, this shows you the mispricing. <laughs> Just yeah. coming back to Tiffany's, it's like, okay, you know, famous example, Tiffany's 20 million bucks a month to have that store on Fifth Avenue, $20 million a month. And it, why, you know, it's, it's obviously a loss leader, but it's, you know, it's marketing budget. And, you know, how do you justify that and then look at domain names, which, you know, that $20 million storefront, $20 million a month is, or it might, it might be $20 million annual. I don't, I don't remember. It's crazy numbers. It probably is $20 million a month. But um, there is a finite supply of people that can walk through that door. And it's limited to the number of people that walk past that door every day. And only a finite number of those people that walk past the door every day are actually qualified buyers and an even smaller number of them are qualified and interested. And yet they're very happy to and have paid for an infinite number of years that kind of rent to have that type of prestigious storefront. How do we go? And, and, and this isn't a rhetorical question, I, you know, to segue into maybe some of your next questions, but how do we go as an industry, domain names? How do we go from what you said? A $500,000 domain name is a drop in the bucket relative to other budget items, right? It, it, it does not in any way reflect the utility or the prestige that comes with these assets. And again, you know, even if you bought that storefront for $20 million, it's still gonna cost you 
let's say, uh, you know, what is it? One and a half percent a year in property taxes. Yeah, exactly. That alone, you know, what, what is that? That alone is, but is, you know, is like uh, I hundreds think and the hundreds way, of thousands of dollars. I think the way we answer your question is um, we're going through a change. We're going from the analog to digital change very slowly. You see how the central banks are looking at uh, Bitcoin. You know, Bitcoin is one of the simplest um, things. I mean, they're all PhDs in economics and whatnot. I mean, they cannot understand what comes out on a white paper that is eight pages long. I mean, mm -hmm. there is a changing of the guard from the analog to the digital. The guys at Tiffany's who make the decision, they're not the 30, 40 or something. It's the older ones. So, yes. and you guys, in my humble opinion, you're not doing a good job at explaining and educating everybody who is not in the industry about how valuable the assets that you trade are. Yeah, that's a so, fair point. 100%. That's yeah. why we got you here today, Pedro. <laughs> this is part of so, the amplification. You know, and we like found two revenue streams for you guys already. <laughs> the index, which then you can start passing it on to the CNBCs of the world and so on, and the Bloombergs and so on, and have people that write things about um, domain uh, um, names and the, the industry so that you educate people. Because Wall Street is so lazy that you need to spoon feed them spoon by spoon what you want them to understand yeah. Yeah. and that's the same problem i was reading a very interesting article on bitcoin why the yuppie elite uh, is so quick at bashing bitcoin because once you crack the code of underst understanding the wall street jargon um, they get too lazy to learn new things everything can be transformed into cash flow statements and understanding a business and so on a new thing they just dismiss it too lazy you know, and most it, people it, are one trick ponies, right? They learn one thing as their career and that's the one thing that they do throughout their life. And they're not interested to retool for learning something new. With one caveat, the world, the, the rate of change in the world was super slow. Yes. The rate of change in the world is completely different now. And going ahead, it's going to be even faster. If you already feel like your mind is buzzing from all the information that you have to absorb. I mean, I was reading the other day that the, the amount of medical data uh, in the world doubles every 72 days or something. I mean, That's crazy. there's the knowledge because of AI is being is starting to interpret a bunch of things. It's incredible. So as that progresses, people need to learn new things. Learning one thing in your life used to be okay in our parents' generation. In our generation, you're going to have to go through four or five transformations. I mean, if you want to keep um, yeah. operating at the high level. If you don't want to be at a high level first, that's fine. Learn one and that's fine and you'll do as you will. But I mean, we, we are competitive people. We love learning and so on. To stay on top of our game, it's a game of content learning. It didn't used to mm -hmm. be like that. Yeah, and that's a fair point. But really quick, just to double back to the Tiffany's thing, I don't know what it costs them every year. Uh, but I know that they're doing a renovation of their store on Fifth Avenue and the cost of the renovations alone are going to cost somewhere between 125 and 250 million dollars just to wow. renovate the store. And that's, uh, you know, that's part of what they've got going on. And and so when you think about that, just to renovate that location, that physical location yeah. that accounts for less than 10 percent of their 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 global annual business that, you know, and the idea that a domain name such as diamond.com, which is a diamond in itself, you know, is, is not worth, you know, a million, five million, ten million dollars. Exactly. 
A hundred million dollars? <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I mean, but but I mean, whoever holds so, that domain would ju- should just hold it until it's worth what they believe it is. You know, it's a yeah. it's a question of faith. Well, and then yeah. that's and then a shout out to a guy like Rick Schwartz, who is one of the uh, you know old, old, call him an old school domainer, but he's one of the most successful domainers in history. And part of uh, Rick's success um, is that he's always valued his domains at what he's valued them at, and has held out for the right value. And eventually, the buyers come. You know, and it may take so some time. It took twenty years, but, you know, but eventually buyers started showing up at the values that he said. Yeah. And, uh, you know, which also shows you the appreciation of domains and is digital assets over time, too. And, you know, but it's about bridging that gap. And then how do you monetize that in the meantime? And then how do you properly, you know, how do you speed that along so that you don't have to wait 20 years to get the return on those investments at the level that you think? Listen, you should, you know? I don't mind waiting 20 years. I- I'm not a trader. I- most of my investments in our fund are three to five years time frames. As long as the value is appreciating over a three to five year period and you can find a reliable and conservative way to mark them to market, I don't need the liquidity to sell them immediately. I wouldn't put 100% of the fund in domains, but I can conservatively put five to 10%. And then if I can value them on a mark to market and a, you know, if you guys provide an index, valuation services and so on. And then, you know, the important thing is that when one wants to sell, that it kind of, um, you know, if you guys are overestimating the, the growth of the index and then when we sell, we realize that it was 20% or 30% lower, then uh, that's not good for anyone. So it needs to be yeah. a fair index that you guys feel represents really the average price. And it could, the, 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 the slippage cannot be much from that price. Yeah. I think that's so no. we're pushing up on an hour here. I mean, I, I can go longer about it. I think we just barely too much of your time. the surface. But, <laughs> yeah, I know. I feel like it could, this could be. A I'm on question number two of uh, 12. But, <laughs> so, so you want to go quick, like a rapid fire round and fire yeah, yeah, I'll do questions? I'll, I'll do. So the next one is I noticed that a lot of the new crypto businesses come with domain extensions IO. And mm-hmm. um, I wanted to, because uh, I've understood from you, Drew, that .com is like the creme de la creme, and then it goes down to .net, .biz, and which um, I've heard many yep, times mentioned. Yeah. 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 So um, what's the scoop with .io? Is that becoming the domain extension of the cryptoverse? So my, my opinion, uh, which I think is well supported by the facts, is that, um, you know, there's .com, which is the best, and then there's the rest. And among the rest, you have um, several different extensions which are sort of vying for second place, and each maybe has certain verticals where it's more dominant in. Um, .io has been very well adopted in the crypto space, but what I've seen personally through our business is that it's training wheels, right? So it's okay, I've got this new project. I need to put out a white paper. I need to put out a landing page. I'm going to just, I'm not going to go out and spend hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars to get that exact domain. So I'm going to stand up my website on a .io or in a lesser case, a .co um, uh, or uh, uh, to a uh, you know, lesser extent .org. And those are kind of the three, I think, that, that get most of the attention in the, in the crypto spaces is, is and probably in that order, IO, CO, org. And um, once they hit a tipping point and they are, uh, uh, you know, let's say either raise sufficient capital or proven success, then they upgrade to the .com. And I would say, you know, a large majority of our domain sales 
both outbound and inbound um, are to companies that are upgrading from a .co or a .io. So yep. great way to start and then later upgrade to .co.com. Yep. And the only point that I'll make on top of that, it doesn't mean that there's not an opportunity to invest in those in .io domains. I mean, mm -hmm. there still is a very, very good opportunity to buy low, sell high because they are selling and trading at decent prices, especially for call it a second tier domain extension, you know, and because there is a level of popularity amongst crypto and NFT companies to utilize .ios, and they are sort of a great starter domain and a name that people will spend, you know, maybe tens of thousands of dollars, if not even hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially on their domain, when the, the but the, the, the equivalent .com would be worth a million dollars. So, yeah. but it, mm -hmm. there is still an opportunity to make money within that space because, and, and you know, and, and there are folks and, and folks that are part of our sort of extended team here that, um, you know, are very bullish on .io and do very well buying and selling .io domain names. I, however, am not one of them. Except that you, <laughs> had, you literally <laughs> had one of the biggest reported .io sale ever. I have the two top, I have the two top domain uh, .io sales ever in history. But I'm, I'm not bullish. And, and the reason for that is I think you can look at any other asset and you say, OK, there's the best and then there's the rest. And if you're in the rest, you're always going to be encumbered because you're always second best. And if you're second best, then there's a there's a ceiling. Right. Because as soon as .io's prices start pushing up on dot com prices, there's a margin there. And at some point you get close enough to say, well, it's only 30 percent less than the dot com only 50% less than the .com. I'd rather just go buy the .com because I know I'm, if I'm successful, I'm going to have to upgrade anyways down the road. I might as well get the .com. Maybe I can get it on terms. Maybe I can you know, finance it, whatever. But I, I just think that there's a ceiling. Whereas if you're number one, there's no ceiling. Like okay. you need the .com. It's never going to bump up on anything. There's nothing overhead. Whereas if you're an IO, .co, .net, .org, you're always going to bump up on the dot-com. You can only go as high as some margin below the dot-com. That's fair. Who, who is the central entity that we have to trust on the dot-com domains? There's two. Like, so um, is there a registrar? Well, it's a registry. Who? Registry, it's VeriSign, is the registry okay. that effectively manages the dot-com registry. And above them, from a regulatory standpoint, you've got ICANN, which is the regulatory body governing Okay. The so those are the two uh, from the dot com perspective. Any chance that another domain extension that is blockchain based starts getting traction because um, it's seen as uh, you know more digital rather than the analog? Well, there there's a lot so, to talk about there. That is a you know and uh, the that's a deep that's a deep rabbit hole. Uh, <laughs> and there is there the short are answer. This should, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, that's okay. Go ahead. A lot of crosstalk. If the the uh, the right. transcript. So the short answer. Yeah, the short answer of this is um, yes. Right, there is a whole Web 3.0 that's emerging, and there are several players. Let's say two top, you know, tier two key players who are um, pushing the the innovation and adoption of Web 3.0 from a domain name standpoint, right? And that is like unstoppable domain names of which I'm an investor for transparency's sake and um, uh, Handshake, um, which is um, I, I am an investor into names, but not into, there is no companies, a decentralized, you know, um, uh, protocol. They, right, but they have, and so, they have a token and then the names themselves. So yes. you got both. Um, but I would argue um, that until the entirety of digital commerce adopts 
a decentralization um, architecture. Dot uh, com remains king, and and I just don't see that happening for you know let's say in a best case scenario, we're we're talking about ten plus years, and I think more likely you're talking twenty. If I think about um, you know I can, and I'm on the board, uh, not on the board, but on the um, several of these um, 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 what do you call them working groups, and yeah. um, you know if I w- look at the time frame in which a you know a a a um, a finished product of a working group gets adopted um, at the protocol level at ICANN, you know, it's five years. It's like three to five years is like, that's like fast track, right? And so for them to, for us to move to a fully um, decentralized architecture for the entire internet, honestly, 20 years could even be optimistic. And so I think that, um, and and, and I also further nuance that with, I'm not actually sure that web 3.0 is, um, a replacement to our current internet, I think that it's a supplement. I think that what we're going to find out is that um, this is my current ongoing and subject to change thesis on Web 3.0 is that Web 3.0 will be the identity layer, the ownership layer, and the um, transactional layer of the internet. And it will be supplemental to, it'll be the way that we can obfuscate ourselves, maintain our privacy of our data, potentially maintain some pseudo anonymity, but interact with the internet that we have today, right? In its so if, form, if I read what, what you're saying uh, properly, this would potentially be an issue more for a very sign than for the domain owner. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, um, you know, whether it's decentralized or, or whether you're talking about Web 3.0 on, on decentralized or you're talking about the current internet, um, you know, you still run into human behavior. And I think human behavior is such an important factor that gets just disregarded when we're talking about, you know, COVID mandates or Federal Reserve yeah. or, you know, all these major issues. I think people just ignore human behavior and they try to look at things in a vacuum. And that's such a big mistake. And it probably is the reason that we have a lot of problems in the world today. But I think that dot um, com is just ingrained. There has been literally trillions of dollars invested into advertising and marketing and branding that is ingrained into human behavior now to the point where if I tell you that my company is called Apple, I don't need to say the dot com as long as I own it. Right. You just inherently believe or understand or assume that you're going to find me at Apple.com. And so um, anything other than dot com is an encumberment on your brand because you need to further explain to somebody where to find you. If you're not apple.com, you need to say, I'm apple.io, I'm apple. We, we literally just saw this with Clubhouse, right? So you had, um, you know, clubhouse.io, which was, I get it confused. I think it was clubhouse.io, which was like a software company. And then you had all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Clubhouse that we all know about emerged, the social media app, um, emerged and they were, I think, clubhouse.co maybe, or I, I don't know, I might be messing up the extensions. All I know is neither of them had .com. Then Clubhouse, uh, uh, the, the social media app, upgraded to the .com. Um, and the guys on the IO who were older had been around before that, instead of just saying, oh, we're gonna just stick with our game plan, this is who we were before, this is who we're gonna continue to be, they really were forced 
to do a complete and total rebrand. Yeah. And they've now rebranded to shortcut. Uh, shortcut.com yep. and you're and by the way good job drew on the facts you were right it was clubhouse.io that then had to rebrand a shortcut because clubhouse the you know the social media app now that we all like you said um and that they've effectively got pushed completely off of their domain and uh yep. and out of the realm of like you know awareness and had to go rebrand but let's not you know I and so that 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 that's but that, that's it's an important point because it doesn't matter again decentralized or not decentralized doesn't matter it's about human behavior and human behavior means that as it is today. And again, human behavior, you can go out and look at the, at the, the, the social studies, human behavior takes two generations to change. You want to change human behavior, two generations today, human behavior is still ingrained with com, And so that's why I say 20 years minimum to change that. And that same point, that same thinking holds true when you've got somebody who's going to buy a name. If your brand is Apple and you you settle on a domain like getapple.com, right, as opposed to just paying for the single keyword that represents your brand, if that's your brand, you know, eventually you're going to also then have that same issue where now your issue is to the left of the dot, but it's the same problem because you're going to have email leakage and all sorts of different challenges that you're going to have if you don't have the name that actually represents your brand. So if your brand is, and, then, and that's what you decide to brand as and your logo and everything else is like this, you know, single one word, that's a great word, but you go with some variation for your domain name, you know, um, same thing around certain misspellings, like you're going to end up really hurting your business, which is why, you know, you're better off spending the money coming up with some sort of creative way to finance to ultimately, you know, get into the, the domain that you really need for your business at the end of the day, but not to get too far down that particular rabbit hole. Cause now we're, we're in like rabbit tunnels of the rabbit hole. And, uh, and I know you still have a bunch of questions. So let's move on to the next one. Unless you have further follow-up on that. Um, how large is the, the market of domain investing and what parts of the world are more active? That's good. So yeah. hard question to answer. Very important question. Um, because of what we talked about earlier with the lack of transparency and pricing, I don't think anybody really knows. Maybe, maybe escrow.com is a decent indication, but um, I think that, you know, we basically believe more or less, um, I think it's more or less consensus that um, the domain name aftermarket is roughly $2 billion a year in turnover. So that's, you know, domains that expire, domains that go to auction, domains that are, you know, sort of P2P transactions, domains that go through brokers, uh, marketplaces, et cetera. I think we're talking about about a $2 billion uh, market. Could be three, could be one. Um, I think two is about right. Um, I don't think it's five. And I definitely, I know it's not less than one. Yeah. And, you know, interestingly, there's an article that came out uh, in Forbes, which came out in March yeah, of this year, which, which was more or less in line. I think it's a little low, but I, but it's more or less in line. Well, they right? said the value of the entire DNS, the domain name system was $8 billion was what they had mm -hmm. said. Now, that's not the aftermarket. That is the, you know, because you've got domains that are registered and, you know, at, at GoDaddy and the other big registrars. Yeah. So they know what the renewal fee costs are and you know, and, and everything based off of that. So, so, so that does not include the aftermarket or it might include some component of the aftermarket because probably GoDaddy's aftermarket sales are included in the data that they're picking up. But um, my guess is, yeah, including sort of um, uh, initiation or, and renewals. So initiation, meaning like you go and register Pedro de Norona right now, 
uh, and renewal being next year when you renew the domain. See, I JT, I told that, you you could still not say my name. I know. I was going to say, I was going to comment on it. I was going to correct him. <laughs> but yeah, they actually said in the same article, the secondary resale market is $2 billion with the purchase and renewal of .com domains. But I don't know if they're trying, if they're capturing just what's happening, you know, at GoDaddy and what's being publicly. Yeah, I think it's. Yeah, so. I think you're probably talking 10 billion combined with initiation, renewals, aftermarket, you know, the whole thing. Um, and geographic exposure, is it mostly North America or? Uh, it's pretty global. I mean, that's heavy, heavy skewing. Well, if we're talking dot com, it's a very heavy skewing towards North America. Um, and then probably we're talking about Europe. I'm not actually sure is the honest answer, but well, I, definitely there's going to be a heavy skewing. Um, in the aftermarket, there will be a heavy skewing towards North America. Well, I mean, if if you guys look at your yearly sales and you classify clients as North America, Latin America, Europe, and Asia, how would the splits be? Yeah, well, in dollar terms, not in number of clients. Yeah. Yeah, for tax purposes, I'd rather not disclose. No, Um, (laughs) probably it is 60%, 70% North America. But what I can okay. tell you is having managed the Namejet, the domain name auction platform for several years, you know, we did have this wave of Chinese investment that had come in. Um, That's and true, then, actually, yes. You know, and then the numbers, we, they were buying the numbers domains, right? Yep, and, and well, and the short domains as well. In fact, it got to the point that there was so much activity around the aftermarket, around these like those different classes of domains, the buckets, that they actually had an app that was similar to like the Apple stock app that you get on the iPhone that showed like, okay, this is what three character dot coms are currently trading at and everything else. So, wow. you know, but it didn't maintain enough momentum. The wave kind of settled. And but, you know, but Asia still, especially in China, still maintains a very big presence in the domain aftermarket, um, especially yep. with the the shorter, like the two character dot coms, three character dot coms, the numeric domains, like you said, um, because of the use of the numbers as part of like, you know, sort of the language system and everything else. Um, but, yeah, if you look at our numbers, I mean, we don't have a ton of Asian business. I mean, looking at media options, largely <laughs> skewed to North America. Uh, with with some Europe with a European presence as well, you know, and I think that's although India is is an emergent uh, market for us, I, you know. Whereas well, in the past, you had a say. lot of inquiries out of India, a lot of tire kicking. Um, in the last eighteen to twenty four months, we're really starting to see some serious activity coming out of India. There's some really big um, moves happening in India. The, the global digital commerce is really uh, uh, moving in a big way in India. And, yep. And I was going to say, so where Asia is now entrenched, you know, entrenched as a pretty big player in the market, India is growing. And that I can say just yeah. from a registrar perspective, because that's almost where you, you look at mm-hmm. it from, you know, you've got the registrar trends, which is sort of your initial, you know, hand registration and other activity that takes place at the registrar level or the registry level. And then that, then it kind of segues, it follows along in the aftermarket as well. And you know, and as these players are getting bigger and taking on a larger sort of chunk of the business. But for us, it's just some of it is just we don't, you know, you know, part of it, we just focus on the clientele that we have. You know, a lot of our buyers are startups, um, you know, that are and and a lot of them based in California, although now we're also seeing a larger spread there because everything is becoming a lot more distributed just in general. So, yeah, that makes sense. And how do you think the main prices correlate with other assets? Great question. Um, so this is something I thought about quite a bit, and and it's one of the things that attracts me so much to domain names, and why I just continue to just keep dumping more money to buy more domains, is that I think it's one of the best uncorrelated assets, or maybe the most uncorrelated asset in my universe, um, 
you know, I think that um, we're in a macro trend. One of maybe the largest macro trend is digitalization, right? We've been in this for 30 years and yeah. it's only accelerating. We're getting really steep in the curve now. And um, there's a 0% chance, you know, outside of some like, you know, uh, 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 electromagnetic shock that shuts down the global, you know, uh, grid and, and internet. Um, I, I, I don't, there's no way that trend is reversing at all or slowing down. It's only going to continue to accelerate. So if we take that as, um, as, you know, a baseline, then no matter what happens in terms of the Fed, no matter what happens in terms of the S&P 500, there will continue to be an increased demand for domain names and a decreased supply of great domain names. There will be an increased supply of domain names in general because we have, you know, there will at some point be another round of um, uh, GTLD applications with ICANN, meaning that you could go get dot Pedro, dot whatever, right? There will be another round of that. We have currently roughly a thousand domain extensions, not including country codes, uh, generic domain extensions, and there will be more in the future. And so there is a seemingly infinite number of potential domain names, but the number of .com domain names, the number of um, meaningful, inherently valuable domain names is very finite and decreasing rapidly. And so, so just like um, uh, real estate, like, uh, right? I mean, there's an yes, infinite amount of land that you can buy more, to build a house. Real estate is going to be more correlated, I believe, physical real estate, because um, people's behavior, so such as COVID strikes, people, you know, in let's just take it at face value and say that, yes, people left San Francisco, people left New York, they migrated to other jurisdictions. Well, that real estate now is, you know, the value of it is, is, is encumbered in some way, right? Because there's a lower supply of uh, uh, qualified and interested parties to either live there or rent it for commercially, right? And so, um, but in the digital landscape, none of that matters. It only matters is, will there be one more digital business tomorrow than there was today? If the answer is yes, Price over the mid to long term must go up, yeah. right? Yeah. And and it's the same principle. This is why I, I I really got very confident early on in Bitcoin. Is is I for whatever reason maybe I'm even stealing this from somebody that told it to me. I don't know, but it was I, I just I broke it down to a very simple question, which I think I said to you once. It's just I wake up every day and I ask myself, and I literally do this: Do I think today there will be one more person that wants to own Bitcoin than yesterday? We know the supply is fixed. And so if, if I believe today there will be at least one more person that wants Bitcoin than yesterday, price must go up. Maybe not today, but as you know, the, the, the waves you know, uh, 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 get, what is the word? Uh, yeah, uh, crowd psychology. <laughs> yeah, uh, uh, you know, the trend will be up. Yeah. And so you know, one thing he said here, the, inter the interesting thing is that we're talking here about the numerator of the fraction, be it Bitcoin, be it domain names, there's scarcity, there's tailwinds, there's the digitization of the, the, um, the economy. What we haven't spoken much about is the numerator, which is which currency is it denominated on? 
And when you have a fraction, the numerator might not even move, but when you have the denominator as we have now, which is fiat currency being debased at 10, 15% a year, I mean, your domain might not even move, but it just increases by 10 or 15% a year in dollar terms, just because of the actions of central banks. Yeah, just because and of debasement. So, so when you own a digital scarce asset, you're actually making money on both sides of the fraction. The numerator is going up by because of the scarcity is increasing. There's more digital businesses opening every day. And the denominator is going down because of the um, outrageous actions of central banks. So Shit, JT, we got to raise prices right now. That's what I'm saying. I'm like, I'm ready. To, <laughs> I'm jumping off this call right now and I'm going to go update the sheet and... Uh, <laughs> You know, I'm going to grind. Well, let me, let me, right. <laughs> let me just make a last question because I think um, um, you guys have a, a large portfolio of domains, right? Relatively speaking, it's not a large portfolio. I would say it's a very high quality portfolio, okay. but yeah, high know, quality. Like Six thousand. No, no. To somebody who doesn't have a lot of domains, you got five million. Yeah, yeah. Yes. To somebody who doesn't have a lot of domains, we've got a big, very valuable portfolio of domain names. So here's the challenge: Why don't you guys launch a, a domain fund? Uh, and it could be like you see many of the tech stocks when they IPO, you just IPO 20% of it uh, and you yourselves create an index, you give the valuation services. And I know there's potential conflict of interest, but if you're allowing investors in and out at the price that you're saying, you have an interest to, to value the, the portfolio fairly. Yeah. Otherwise, yeah. portfolio start get, uh, investors start getting out and you get stuck with, um, uh, with the domains that are worth considerably less. I mean, that's mm -hmm. one way you could have the first mover advantage of, um, uh, of putting domain names as an asset class in the face of investors. Because once you have a fund out there and you have one-year track record, two-year track records, and you can measure correlation on a monthly basis, you can see price appreciation and so on, it becomes undeniable. You, you kind of so have to force people to do the work. So I agree with all that. And, and, you know, there will be some updates on that front, you know, tangentially speaking, um, right. you know, soon. But um, one of the points I wanted to get to today, which um, I don't know if you had a question on this or not, is um, around cash flow. And, you know, in a world where corporate profits are flat, right, have been for a decade plus, um, even if revenues are increasing, profits are flat, margins are flat, right? And so, uh, or decreasing. And, um, and if we start seeing wage increases, that's gonna further compress, you know, margins and profits, et cetera. And so, um, you know, we have Bitcoin as, you know, the hottest asset class, you know, in the world, arguably right now, you've got, you know, all these things that sort of push up on a traditional value investor, investor um, thought process and, and, and valuation model of, you know, future value cash flows, right? Couldn't be, you know, it's a very easy way to value something. How do we overcome that hurdle in the domain industry? Is there anything you can look at in this industry and say, well, yes, obviously that's true. Obviously you're valuing the equities you invest in based on cash flow models, but you're also an investor in Bitcoin and which has no cash flows. Um, yeah. Domain names can have cash flows if they're actively managed. They can have cash flows if you're leasing it or if they generate significant type in traffic. Um, but, you know, ignoring let, that for a moment, let, how, do you, how do you solve for that? 
you have to learn how to be comfortable in investing in assets that don't produce cash flow. That's the short answer. And I can give you an example. You know, I'm a diehard value investor, have been since I launched a fund in 2008. And as you can imagine, value investors were kind of out of favor since 2008 started because with unconventional monetary policy at zero, growth companies are outperforming massively. So, um, so the way you convince people is one, by doing what I told you, either you create an index that shows them that um, cash flows don't matter because there's a kind of like um, a sound policy behind the valuation and the creation of that index. And um, that, that's what I have, the, 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 the frontier I had to, to, to pass for me to invest in Bitcoin in the first place. Because, you know, mm-hmm. as a value investor, if I speak with my friends from, that I meet in Omaha every year at the AGM of Berkshire Hathaway, um, I remember in March of 2020, in the middle of the lockdown, I called one of my Omaha friends and I said, listen, I have a heretical thought in my mind that I need to confess to you. And he tells me, what's that? And I said, the more I'm reading into Bitcoin, the more this looks like the most perfect value investment that I've ever found, because it's trading a 90% discount to what I think its value is, but it doesn't produce cash flow. So, and his answer completely surprised me. He was like, you know, Pedro, we were wondering exactly the same thing over here. We're getting to the same conclusion. And this is value investors. You know, we're not talking about tech yeah, investors, yeah. venture capitalists. You know, we value above anything cash flows. But give us 10 years of underperformance, which is what happened to the value industry. Give us a world that is changing. And, you know, one of the things that I usually say about Michael Saylor is that he's the Warren Buffett of the new age. Uh, he has outperformed vastly Warren Buffett since 1990 with his domain names mm-hmm. investing, then tech, and now um, with all that he's doing in, in, in crypto. And I think there's a lot of people still stuck in the cash flow investing. Uh, and it's great because the world needs to work with uh, copper, with all the commodities that will produce the, the ASIC miners and uh, you know mm-hmm. all the computers so that people can live in a Ready Player One and an Oculus experience. So that, mm-hmm. that still, the, the, the world still needs to circle, but investors right now are not valuing that at all. Mm-hmm. So I have companies that produce lots of cash flow trading at 9% dividend yields at five times earnings. I mean, you would look at that, it doesn't exist, but it exists in this market where people are more and more investing in ETFs, in S&P 500 ETFs. They don't care. They just want to own Amazon. They think Amazon is the sure thing. And Amazon is a great company, but everything, as we were discussing in the beginning of this call, has a price. You know, you'll make a price for any three-letter domain. I'll make a price Mm -hmm. for literally anything. You might not like the price, but I'll make you, a <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and I've, I'm learning because I'm kind of being forced to, because if I don't learn how mm-hmm. to invest in non-cash flow businesses, I'm out of business. Yeah. It's game over. So I think what you need to do is to create an index, create, do, start up a fund and be the pioneer that launches this new asset class. Because it's either you or one of your competitors or you guys can do it as a joint venture. Someone needs to do it because coming back to most investors are lazy. Yeah. Yeah. No. And I think that's great. And with that, I think we've, uh, we've kind of crossed over time and, uh, but this is inspiring for us. And I think it's extremely interesting and getting your perspective on this. I mean, look, you're, you're a brilliant guy. You've had a ton of success. 
Um, you have a don't different... make his head too big, okay? <laughs> well, yeah. hey, well, it's the only way you'll fit in the room with Drew, right? The uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, but you have this really interesting perspective, which for us, you know, we are constantly discussing this, which is why we wanted to have you on the show today. You know, and I think having you approach it where you kind of became the interviewer you know, I think is a really fresh, great way for us to have gone through this. And honestly, we went through an hour and 45 minutes here and it felt like we talked for 15 minutes. Right. Um, and we've got a Happy lot to, to do it you know. anytime, guys. Oh, and it's, it's awesome. We so, can do it. Take two, because I tell you one thing, Drew, if you did a fund, I would definitely invest in it because I do believe in the asset class, but um, I don't have the expertise. You know, I need to, I would need a guy like you guys to have um, skin in the game. Like you guys own yeah. 80% of the fund, that's fine. I can own 1% mm -hmm. of the fund because I know if it mm -hmm. uh, doesn't work out, it's much worse for you guys and for me, you know? <laughs> so yeah. that's kind of, a, you, 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 I like the alignment of interests. In every, every of my investment yes. pieces, there's always an in, alignment of interest component. Yes, yeah. critical. You know, and I do think as time goes and we're in this age, this digital age now, where it is becoming more enticing and palatable to, like you said, value investors are recognizing that it's not about cash flow, and it's about making sure that there's confidence around what the real value is, because that's where you've got this delta between what the current sort of price is versus what the potential is. You know, kind of that subjective and, and, value um, delta that um, that Drew was talking about earlier. And, and it would be a great exercise for you guys and relatively easy to do. All you have to do is put your portfolio of high quality domains into a fund. You own 80%. You kind of IPO 20% of it. And then you just uh, value it on a monthly basis. If you have subscriptions or redemptions, it doesn't matter. You're creating a track record. Yeah. Uh, and when you do, you just put them at whatever the NAV is. And um, you see how it progresses. It would take maybe two to three years to establish a track record. But once he's there, you have a huge first mover advantage and yep. it's a new yeah. asset class. And, you know, there's still three or four hundred trillion dollars of bonds out there. And a lot of those bondholders are not re re required by, um, by um, the regulator to, to have those bonds. But it's these mm -hmm. boomers who were always used to have the 60-40 portfolio and stuff. And right now they're, they're catch like a deer on a headlight, you know, they don't know what to do. Um, so in, they're selling their bonds and buying uh, Amazon. And they don't realize that they're buying a great company at an extraordinary price. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah, no, and Whereas they, they could be buying other things like digital assets like crypto and so on to diversify. I mean, anybody who has bonds on their portfolio and doesn't have Bitcoin is totally irresponsible. Yeah, yes. negligent at this point. And yeah, you know, I, 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 one of the takeaways I have from the, from the conversation today is just like, it's on us. We like, we as an industry, you know, should be ashamed of ourselves for not doing a better job of communication to the broader, you know, uh, investment community because you know we see things other digital assets whether that be bitcoin or the thousand other shit coins or um or nfts or you know what what have you you know booming and yet here we are with an asset class that is 30 years old and is literally the backbone of the entire global digital economy, arguably one of the most important assets on the vast majority of companies' balance sheets that are digital companies. And yet 
so few people understand the value. So few people are because, willing to invest be, into the value. Because and you're so, too busy. The problem is you guys are too busy <laughs> buying and selling and trading and finding that you don't have time to develop this. But this is the domain 2.0. Yeah. You need yeah. to make it institutional. This asset class could be institutional. Well, and for because what people. Oh, go ahead. I'm, go ahead, so, Peter. People could rent domains, you know. Like yes. the owner of a domain can say, listen, I'm not going to just like you rent the Tiffany's uh, Fifth Avenue store for 20 million a month. Yes. Maybe someone will have diamonds.com and people will say, listen, I want to buy it. The beers. No, I'll rent it to you a million dollars a month. Yeah. You yeah. know, and, there's and, plenty. You're in the beginning of the first inning of domains. I agree. Yeah. And that's what's really exciting. And, uh, you know, we do have some things that we'll be announcing that I know, you know, we know, you know about, but, uh, you know, that we can't really disclose but then in the interest of full disclosure i have no idea what you guys are going to announce <laughs> <laughs> and then from there there's things kind of what we're talking about here that represent some of the opportunity that we're also talking about exploring and we've got some some pretty cool things that we're but as far as this conversation has moved along we may not be able to publish this show because i think after we get off the call here and uh, off the show and we pivot and we start our fund we don't want to necessarily let the cat out of the bag too soon now because we're going to take what you're telling us, Pedro, and we're going to go get started. Yep. So now we can't let the public know. But I'm, you I'm can just the reality is, you can always cut that everybody's part lazy. It's not just uh, uh, institutional investors, everybody's lazy. But I if could someone sit starts here the and fund, I could spend five hours and lay out the, I could lay out my entire playbook, and I can guarantee you that not one of the thousands of people watching this show will execute on it. It's just, <laughs> it's time, unfortunately, it's time, human yeah, no, nature. No, it's all it's good. time arbitrage. You guys are having a very good time in the short term. You don't need to focus on the medium term because uh, mm. deals are happening. You guys are brokering deals. You're making good buys and then you sell them in six months or one year time. You're, you're doing it on a proprietary basis, which is great. Now, if you want the industry to go to the next level and for institutions to come in, someone needs to be the pioneer. Yeah, and we're actually the best situated yeah. to do it without question. So, um, you know, especially with the network and the folks that we could bring in. And I mean, look, there's no doubt. And look, this is also part and parcel of things we're already talking about. So there's a lot of exciting things coming. And uh, but let's let's we're going to set up a part two because there's going to be more to follow off of this. But this was Good a great pleasure. Show. And Pedro, thank you so much for joining us. Um, thank you to Drew, as always. But thank you to you for being here, Pedro, because this was a in, it's super interesting show that I think our audience is really going to like, uh, especially our core domain investor uh, audience. And uh, so, and with that too, I want to thank the audience because as I say it on every show, without you all, there's no us. So thank you for joining us today. Please be sure to comment. Let us know. You've got questions. You've got comments. You know how to find us. Find us on Twitter, domainsherpa.com. Leave a comment under the show, all that kind of stuff. Let, uh, and uh, and you can you can find Pedro, if you want to see more of what he's got going on at uh, Noster Capital, which is N-O-S-T-E-R Capital, C-A-P-I-T-A-L.com is his website. So feel free to go check that out and find out more about him. You can also find him on LinkedIn and, uh, and, and other places online in the digital space, as we all are. And uh, so, yeah, so with that, we're going to get going. I want to thank you again to you guys, Pedro, especially you. And, well, uh, before we do, before we do, Jake, uh, uh, Peter, do you have any uh, ask or request or, or, or shout out or anything you want to say to uh, the audience? No, I mean, I hope they've learned as much as I have in this uh, hour and 45. It's been super interesting to learn more about the domain names.
All right. Well, excellent, man. Well, thank you so much for being here. Thanks to everybody. And we'll see you guys next time on Domain Sherpa, where all roads lead to domains. Bye. Thanks, guys.